You're listening to the All In Podcast with your hosts, Shane and Blake, giving you a new perspective on the dental industry. Are you ready to go all in? Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Welcome to the All In Podcast, the podcast that brings you a different perspective on the dental industry. I'm one of your hosts, Shane McElroy, and we got our other host here, Blake McClellan. How are you, Blake? Hey, guys. What's happening? I'm good. So what do you got going on right now, man? I'm actually home, home for a few weeks, which is rare. Uh, Currently, the next flight I take is Vegas for the AAID. So uh, it means I've got about two and a half weeks of being homebound if my wife doesn't... uh, All in BS, dude. I guarantee you something will pop up. You you know, my partner said the same thing. He said, yeah, right. You'll be on a flight before too long. Maybe I'll just be Jones and I'll just, you know, just grab a random flight to get my diamond status this year. There you go. Get it, man. <laughs> no, it's good, man. I just got back from so my last trip. I gave a lecture at uh, Zimmer Biomed Institute uh, in Persephone for uh, it's like this new like boot camp course they're doing. So I gave a lecture up there, and then before that was Charlotte. I hung out with uh, our friend Hunter Dawson and then Kenny Brown. Shout out to those guys, oral surgeon Prost out of North Carolina. Honestly, that's really cool, man. Zimmer Biomed does some just killer education. The fact they flew you out there and had you speak uh, for them is is pretty cool testament to you. I don't want to give you too much credit here, but that's uh, it's really cool. weird. You know, like I used to make fun of people being for being whores, you know, for making working with every company and product, and here I am working with every company, <laughs> you know. But like I I try to do it in a very transparent way. Like I'm I, I'm selling what I believe as the new movement of dentistry, whether it's the, the minorities, the females in dentistry, new outlets like podcasts and Instagram and social media. So I'm, I'd give this lecture to like study clubs and to companies. I've given it to Strauma, Nobel, Zimmer, CareStream. I mean, I, I, tell, I tell them all the same story that you guys need to wake up and pay attention to this big up move, uh, uproar movement that's happening. So, you know, it's cool. I, I love talking about it and, uh, you know, practice what you preach you're a leader in the industry on social media right so uh, it's it's wise on their part to listen right so i I think that's really cool man and then by the way like hunter dawson i keep hearing his name everywhere and and everything is super positive about him and i'm looking forward to maybe catching one of his lectures sometimes maybe i think he lectures for strawman right and maybe i'll put on a baseball cap and a fake mustache and (laughs) I have to go sit in the back or something. I just want to hear the guy talk. I'd pay. I'd pay to see that actually. You know, uh, that would be pretty funny. So that's the only way it's going to happen. I'm sure Shane would allow it. Shane Treadway, shout out to him in Atlanta. He's a strawman rep. Um, yeah, he does. Hunter. He speaks on full arts, and he does like a a micro residency type deal with uh, strawman, and it's really neat, man. The guys, he's working on some innovative products. I think that are going to disrupt dentistry, and he really has the full arch all in X process down. And so, yeah, he's definitely somebody I've been really trying to learn from and, and talk to because he just understands what full arch dentistry is and what that looks like and that workflow. from I need to talk to him because I was in seven full arch cases in the last five days. And I'll tell you what, if he's got a way to make it even more efficient and faster and easier on this guy right here, I'm down. You know, you almost have to now because it's getting so saturated that, you know they've got to find ways to make it streamlined to the work uh, to their clinic. I mean, you can't block out an entire day, you know, and it's usually like a ten hour plus day when you're not really, you know, pumping these things out to do these kind of cases. And it's it's ridiculous. You you got to make it more profitable. You can't you know shut down your clinic and just do one case with as many people as, as it involves and, and the lab bill and everything else. You've got to find a way to make the case you know, conducive to your practice. So I like what he's doing and he's got some unique stuff that I think you'll see him on implant comparison soon. We're working on something, a series with him. So awesome, man. I always love to see the full arch stuff. You know, I'm a, a full arch nerd, man. So I'm always down for that. Yeah. You know, and everybody's got their own little secret sauce. It's like bone grafting, right? You all have your own cocktail. I mean, I was talking to Dr. Yeast. Uh, he's out of Charlotte. He does a lot of full arch and he's doing a lot with the Chrome guide. You know, they apparently went through some stuff. There was like some bad PR for them for a little while there because I guess somebody they had at the company. And, you know, now they're trying to really revamp the brand because the the when taught appropriately or correctly, it's a good product, you know, and people are happy with it. So he's uh, he's trying to spearhead getting that message out there. And, you know, I've heard some good feedback on those cases. I just, I think the negative I heard was, again, in reference to some of just the negative PR they got with certain employees. 
Well, I think guided full full arch surgery in general is a love hate thing, and but it's a rep thing, right? And I and I don't mean like representative. I mean just like doing reps at the gym. Uh, it's all about seating that guide. If you can get that guide seated efficiently, quickly, and properly, the case is going to be a slam dunk. If it's off at all, that's where you see all the problems. So I think when people first start getting into it, they're so afraid to reflect as much as you need to in those. So the smaller the guides get, the the more stable they get. So Chrome is smart in making that a uh, cobalt Chrome because it has less flexure, right? So on that side, they're definitely doing it right. But it's all about seating the guide and, and just doing it enough times to get comfortable, just like anything else. So let me ask you something about that with, with these guided cases or when you're doing it and you're, you know, like, we're not, not like, not like a pay rate, which he can do it all in house. Right. But when you're doing a case and you got the lab involved and you, maybe you've got the uh, referring dentist involved and you've got the specialist surgeon, when you have that many people involved, do you see that it's the communication? That's a lot of the issue, like the data points that are provided and, and getting that all that case really organized. So 100%. It's funny you mentioned this because, by the way, we did not talk about this ahead of time. I actually, uh, Brian Linke and I gave a lecture yesterday. He did most of the lecture and I did the the communication part with the team, uh, the financing part, the cost part, all that. And that's 100%. It is communication. So what I've tried to do over the years is be a central point of communication. So a lot of these cases, they're everybody's coming to me to be the main communicator and and whether it's the rep or somebody else being having one central point as opposed to this you know balls of string going everywhere you know all over the like it just doesn't work that well uh, unless you have proper communication that is probably the most important thing if you get that down the rest of it just flows very nicely I don't think most people think about the time allocation towards a full arch case though you know you think about how much you really have to allocate from the initial, consultation to the treatment plan to the treatment to the follow-up you know how many hours of that clinician's time is allocated to that case and and then you've got the lab bill and everything else like it's really not as profitable unless you're really good at it and do it a lot i think that it's tough so everybody asks me what do i charge for this case and i i I say start backwards all right what is your time worth that was a really good point you made what is your time worth so if if you take all those appointments and say as a restorative doc well i'm bringing in the lab and i'm and i've got a really good lab and we're spoiled here in atlanta we've got some great conversion labs uh if you're using them and it's really not taking you more than a couple appointments after the fact to get to that final you know maybe five to six thousand dollars profitability on that's great great for you and the surgeon wants 10 because he's carrying a lot of the weight profitability. Now let's build in our other costs and then aggregate all together. Cause it really doesn't matter who's paying for the parts and the pieces. You can shift that either way, uh, but bring it all together and have one global fee. And if you start that way with, with what you said is what is your time worth uh, and going backwards, that's the way you should do anything uh, running a business. Right. And so it's not about what to charge. Let's start with our costs and what's my time worth and then go off of that. And then that'll tell you what to charge because maybe you're going to charge $50,000 because your time's worth that much for an arch and you're pricing yourself way out. Good. Go do something else then and make that money, right? But don't just uh, assume, well, what do I charge? What is everybody else charging? Because it's it's different for everybody, right? Right. Like you look at Dan Northick, man, that clinic down there, Dunham one, they're going to pump out <laughs> four, four cases at least a day. But most likely, I mean, he's done as many as eight arches in a day or nine arches in a day. Yeah. Six at one time. It was impressive. It's not. So I mean, of course, it, you know they can be competitive on pricing, but you can't. They have the lab. Does one, one, the lab, it's always going to be profitable, right? Sure. That's the, that's the cheat code. Well, and 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 that's the point. Is I think the 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 consensus here is, and it's going to kind of parlay into my what I wanted to talk about today, uh, which is business and partnership, but really staying in your lane. And when you decide to adopt a new technique in your practice, you go into it, you better understand now you're competing with people who do that all the time. And you can't compete with someone on price when their scenario is completely different, right? I'm not going to go get a $25 million contract a year for playing basketball and try to compete against Kobe Bryant. It's not going to happen, right? I'm, I'm new at it, right? I just started. I'm not that good. I can't expect, expect the same result with different capabilities, not necessarily capabilities, but understanding and, and ex- expertise in it. So I think that that's, that's the big thing with the full arch is don't try to restore the whole thing with a cheap lab and saying, I'll help the lab out. I don't really need a, a, a pro like a Linky or a, or a RJ in my practice. I'll go cheap. I can get them through this. You know, or you know, when you see these oral surgeons doing the conversion by themselves, again, with a lab that they decide to take over, 
it's not really profitable at that point. And that's where I think you, if you own your art, which if you're a specialist, or I mean, a neural surgeon, right? An perio, place the screws, slam them in, hand it over, then hand it over to the referral and, and the lab and let them go to work so that you can go work on other cases or, you know, work on do, doing different things. Um, I agree with that. And, and you're going to have to communicate whatever your story is to the patient. I talked about this last night too. Uh, you're not going to be clear choice, right? If you're just saying we do all on four, you're not going to win because you're going to be higher priced and they're super efficient at, at least on the front end, right? Uh, you got to go, we're, you're our patient for life, right? We're going to be honest. How many people are still doing just all on four? A lot of people are placing five or six now too, right? And so if you just teach this, that you're an all on four clinic, but you end up placing six implants at a time, you get a lot more cost calculated into that now. Well, I think when you evaluate your cost, if you're going after all in four, assume it's six. If you're planning on six implants, uh, assume it's eight. And that way you can never lose. You always overestimate your costs. And then when you don't need those extra implants, it's more profitable, right? But I, I think it's less about that and tell them, well, we use whatever, like to the patient. It's not all about four implants. You may need six implants. We're going to do whatever is best for you. It's not the number of implants. And never communicate that to them because what ends up happening is this. I've seen it. Uh, we were planning on doing five implants, but we decided we only needed four. And the patient goes, well, do I get some of my money back? Right. <laughs> like, uh, well, uh, or we had to do a couple more implants. You're not going to charge the patient more. So you can't go into it that way. And that's why I say overestimate your costs. But tell the patient that, hey, you're not... You're an individual and we're going to treat you so. Every case is different and we're customizing the smile for you. So they do all on four because, well, you're a number to them. And I'm not saying that's clear choice's opinion, by the way, but that's, you could position it that way if you really needed to. Uh, but but we're going to do what's right for you, not what's right for us. Well, yeah. And I think that's your story, right? I think that's Why? a great point. I think that's exactly the way you got to structure it. Sell it on the procedure, not on the the name brand of all on four, whatever, right? You're selling it on a full mouth rehabilitation. But it's have a whole fee, have a story, and then you've got most, and then have a great lab partner and a great team and, and just communicate. If you can communicate and have all those other things, you will be successful at this. I think that's the only way to successfully do full arch. The best people in full arch that I've seen are a team. They work like a team. It's streamlined. And just like, you know, the reason why McDonald's was successful is they automated things. They turned it into a process and they streamlined it. You know, same thing with Full Arch. If you have a team, like you've you got your Linky from the lab and you've got your Andrew Curry and you've got your Michael Demo, right? You've got the oral surgeon, the GP, and uh, the lab involved, and they crush it and they do beautiful casework and everybody's not killing themselves, right? Two, you also know that the communication's strong. You've got to have communication on these cases. And yep. the biggest yeah. problem I see, go ahead. Where I learned all that communication part was actually from a guy named Robin Johnson, who's another lab down here. Brian's the guy I go to there, everything digital. Robin's the guy who's more analog, but is a, is a designer, artist, lab, architect. I mean, he's just one of the best in the game, too. And he was the central communication piece where he, uh, Marsha at his lab, where everybody, including myself, communicated. That's where I learned the central piece part was from him. Like, um, you know, how dumb is it to go and try to do this all on yourself? and cut into this and not take help from people who've been in pro. Like it, it's so, I, I see so many, and I'm sure you do more than me. So many cowboys that need to just like, hang on, hold back. You, you ain't ready for this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I've had a couple experiences where guys want to just say, well, I just want to try it. And I'm sitting there thinking like, that's a person's life and in your hands right there. And you're, you're taking, you want to try it. I get that. Yeah. You, you don't just dabble in <laughs> full mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Go watch a bunch, start on the restorative end because frankly, that's the, the side that's more complex. And then you build the uh, surgical end off the restorative end. Start there and work your way up and then start with restoring a case, right? Not doing both sides and get to that point because that is overwhelming, especially just diving into it like from the beginning. It's it's a lot, man, doing the surgery and the restorative. It is just, it can be overwhelming, especially if it's one of your first cases. Who's teaching the best restorative course right now, do you think? I got to be honest. There's a lot of good ones out there. Uh, I'm interested to see Hunter Dawson's, but I haven't seen it. So I've heard good things about that. I, I'm going up to pay raise course because he does everything. I'm really stoked to see that one because I know what he's doing. Uh, but in my experience, 
uh, Sharafi and Farrier and Teeth Express course from an all-encompassing course, including the restorative side. It's been really impressive to me. And, and I'm biased because I've been to so many of them. But that one is, I've never had anybody come out of that one, uh, restorative or surgical, and go, well, that was a waste of my time. It's always, I'm stoked. I want to do more, right? I, I, do, I do like having a pros involved in this. And and I think it's it's a lot of value because they are the ones that really, when it's bad, they see when it's at its worst, right? When no one else can save it, they send it over the process. So like, what can we do here? So oh, yeah. I think that it's nice to get their perspective because they see the worst case scenarios and probably a lot of volume because they have their own referral network. So Why you ever want to be a pros blows my mind because you're just cleaning up other people's messes all the time. What is the surgery becoming, right? Like, I mean, you're out there teaching your, your referrals how to place implants so they can take away patients from you in a sense. And then, but then when it goes bad, when they try to do an implant and a science lift and you've got to go back and fix it, I mean, you know, it's kind of the same situation. I think that's with any specialist though, right? Uh, yeah, that's why they pay on the big bucks, right? Sure, sure. I mean, it, it's it's gotten a lot harder for them too. I think that the, that's why you're seeing surgical pros. And I, I think surgical pros are incredible. Look at Knife Sonata. I mean, that guy's an animal. You know, but he, he only does one case a day. In that last part again, Blake. He he chooses to only do one case a day. Really, I mean, he he does like one dual archer. You know, he takes his time with it. He really is an artist about it. So, you know, having that surgical pros is really unique. Uh, in, in a teacher when it comes to these cases too. You know, I was talking to Knife, uh, Knife and uh, Nader Salib. They were looking at doing kind of a pros uh, oral surgery type. Um, biologically driven implant course. And so it was all about the biologics first and taking into consideration the their anatomy, their health history and all that, as well as the overall anatomy and facial structure and meeting in the middle on a treatment plan. So often you're just kind of like, let's build a foundation and then we'll make it work afterwards. So it was kind of taking the oral surgeon's perspective of the foundation first and then taking the pros perspective of the final product first and reverse engineering that back into where being a, a happy middle ground. Um, I would actually say you should start, this is my opinion, um, on the restorative side and see if, and then you go from there. Here's the ideal scenario. Does it match up with what we have to work with now? Can I build that foundation to support that? And then if you, if so, great. If not, then you got to meet somewhere in the middle. That's just my personal opinion because the patient's not coming in for, you know, she's not buying this house for the foundation of the house. You're buying it for what you, the house where you live in. Right. So I think it's very important to think from that perspective, but that's my opinion. It doesn't mean I'm right. No. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think the consistency is again, having that process relationship or that restorative relationship of someone who's really restored a lot of these cases. I think that's the best way to learn full arch first, go learn from the restorative side, what that final product's got to look like and what it needs to support it. Right. Like you said, what kind of foundation does it need there? And then you go into the surgical immersion because, you know, once you're placing implants, really it's just about AP spread and, and making sure, you know, you understand your angulations that you're going to need for to support this. But yeah, man, it, it's, it's, but again, it, but back to the point of own your art, stay in your lane. If I were an OMS, I don't want to restore these cases. I don't want to deal with all that. I want to go just place some screws and go to the next room and play some more screws. Cause that's where I'm most profitable. It's not, you know, taking impressions. <laughs> Oh, but that being said, I think it's very important if you're a referral-based surgeon and you want to do these cases, you really have to invest the time into learning the restorative side because there's going to be a lot of referrals out there who have not invested their time in learning it and you'll need to carry the case. Uh, and that's why lab partners are very important there too. So I don't think they can get away with not putting the time and effort in as a surgeon saying, well, this is my part of the job. Now, if you really want to do this, you got to be customer service driven and, and and those referrals may not want to learn it and they just want to throw it over to you. And if you want to make the big bucks on these cases, uh, you're going to have to do that. No, agreed. 100% you do. I think every specialist, every GP, anybody getting in the floor needs to take a pros, a, a pros version of the course, the restorative side and learn every aspect of it. Because man, you know what it's like, God, there's just, they're just not ideal. And then you get these, you know, especially in the oral surgery environment, a lot of them will, they'll just intubate the patient, right? So now you're dealing with a heavily sedated patient and you're trying to get a bite on someone who's three vials of propofol deep, you know, in a coma. It's tough, man. It's a bear fight. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I've had a lot of cases where just getting stability, like this week alone, it was just, you know, when you do your alveoplasty, um, 
and you're just working with this mushy styrofoam bone, especially on the upper posterior, you're, it's a fight. You're really fighting to, to, to grab stability, no matter what system you're using, right? It's styrofoam is styrofoam. So you're, you're fighting to grab on. And these things, things can be super stressful, man. No, man, I've had some bad ones. Actually, one in, um, it was a, a full mouth, a sedated patient. There was an anesthesiologist there, and it was just a nightmare, absolute nightmare. And uh, I had another one, too, that was uh, oral sedation. Oh, man, right now, no one in this world, I think, enjoys oral sedation for a long surgery. That is a nightmare. Never do that. I guess I can't get advice here, but let me just prepare you. Man, trying to do oral sedation on a long case like that, like a, a single arch, but especially a full arch, it's damn near impossible. Yeah, don't do a double arch in that scenario unless, you know, there's some cases where I've been in where it's, I do a lot of oral sedation, but single arches where it's really efficient surgery, you're in and out, and that's great. Uh, what I will say is patients who are completely out uh, tend to say, yeah, I would do this again in a heartbeat, right? Uh, patients with oral sedation a lot of times will say, uh, I probably wouldn't go through it again. I'm glad I did, but it was a lot because they're in a lot of pain just because their jaw was open so much and they it just hurt and they feel it and they remember parts of it. It's uh, It can be pretty <laughs> dramatic sometimes. No, I agree, man. I think it's it's the sedation courses, you know, t- doing sedation on your own, that's that's your own question to answer. I, I can't recommend that one way or the other way, uh, but definitely, you know, at least bring in an anesthesiologist or something. Now, a lot of people don't need to do a sedation. Uh, you know, you look at Dan Northick, he'll do plenty. Of, I mean, he does the arches so fast, he doesn't even need to sedate them. He does a little nitrous and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. See you on the next one. He's in there an hour pretty much every single case I've ever seen him do. But yeah. he's a unicorn, man. Uh, don't try to be that, right? That's, right. to me, very difficult to be repeatable. I only know three or four guys in the, in the world that are that efficient at it. And, uh, the problem with that is teaching. do, right? He's not, he's not doing anything else. He All he does is full arch with some sinus lists occasionally, but he's doing so many. Of course he's good. He's got his reps up. You know, I'm not going to step into the ring with Conor McGregor. He'll whoop my ass. You know what I mean? So don't try. I'm not going to try to go fight Conor. If I'm going to do an MMA fight, I'll take the local, uh, you know, Cowboys bar over here and, and, and fight an amateur first. <laughs> I'm super good at tying my shoe, man. I've done it a trillion times. My kid sucks at it, dude. I'll tell you that. <laughs> right? Oh, poor guy. Shoes, <laughs> man. That's just easy. <laughs> no, I think, I think it's, again, knowing your limitations and knowing your experience level and then play the game as is. Don't try to be anything you're not. And, and, and we've done a ton of full arches on implant compares. So I, I, we've had a lot of experience with good, bad, and otherwise in different case scenarios. That I, you, you've got to film our form of partnership with the lab and with the referral. Or if you're the you are the referral and you do full, you're a GP, uh, something you do it in house. Then you know again, build a relationship with your team because it takes a team to do these cases. It really does. And anybody doing it successfully has a team built around them. I would say pretty much any project or major thing uh, needs to be done is better in a team atmosphere and partnerships, but they're difficult to manage sometimes, right? And so, and partner with the rep, like that's something we just missed here. I mean, you've got to be partnered with the rep. They're the best at it in a sense with their system anyways, right? Like they do it all the time. They have the most experience. That's true. Like I think I'm up to a thousand full large cases I've been in now. That's just kind of easy. And how old are you? 35? 37. But the reason I've been able to go, like I've been, I had a day where I was in four different full arch cases, right? Like I had a double arch and then another double arch, different office. And then, you know, so I had four arches that day, right? But I go all over the place. So that's, I'll see more than any one doctor with the exception of maybe uh, a clear choice doc like Tom Barry or like a Dan Northup, right? Because I've been in those cases with Dan where I got to see him do six arches before lunch and that blew my freaking mind uh but yeah it's i get to sound really smart because i get to watch a lot of really smart people and share that information with other really smart people so it's another little cheat code of mine where i, I was telling a rep this the other day is like learn as much as you can regurgitate that information and you're going to look like you're really smart and people are going to respect you for it right no agreed i mean you know you, you, that's the hack i mean if you want to get into you know, doing full arch or you want to get into 
let's say you want to start doing science lifts and you don't do science lifts now, or you want to start getting more referrals for full arch, man, the, the best asset is that rep, man. It is 100%. And I, I think that so many docs don't use it in the right way. It's treated as, and, and not, not so much the docs too. I mean, it's also on the reps end for being too salesman-y, some of them. But if you, if the doc and rep have a good relationship, like I've seen you with Curry and, and uh, with everybody in the Atlanta team without naming all your customers here, <laughs> um, you know, I've seen you befriend these people. And even if it's something to do about another product, you'll help them out. And you're like, hey, man, I, this motor, we don't sell it, but man, it's a solid motor. I get this. Or, hey, this is, hey, you need to call Juan over at Care Street, man. They, they, they're, they've got some great stuff. It, it's, you know, kind of being that resource. And so that way, like, like the doctors have more bandwidth. The last thing you want to do is constantly go search for products or do this. You don't have the time. I get that. I don't know any clinician that's sitting around going, man, I got just too much free time on my hand. So I think it's just kind of a, a, a nice little hack that if you take advantage of it and build a friendship with that rep, man, it becomes almost a, supplemental business leader for your practice? Well, I think smart reps, right? You could have a mediocre product. Fortunately, I have a really good one. But my pro- my uh, process has always been, all right, I'm going to learn as much about everything and be valuable to my accounts in any way, shape, or form that I can be because you get all this knowledge and you get these, uh, these assets and you get to consult with me if I can help you with this or that or the other just for buying my implants, right? Right, right. Who, let me, let, let's be real. Who's filling these study clubs? Who's selling tickets to these study clubs and courses? Yeah, it's me. It, it's not <laughs> the doctors. They're not going door to door, dropping off flyers, you know, because they don't have the bandwidth. They're like, sure, I'll do this course, but it's an iceberg effect. And, you know, the yes that they said to doing the course is only 10% of all the work that needs to be done to going in and, and executing one of these great courses. And it's a lot of groundwork, man. I, th- I think a lot of people forget about that. Let's stop right here and talk about what we talked about uh, multiple, multiple times is, all right, if you really want to be an educator and you really want to make money doing this and you really want to fill up these courses, stop trying to do all your marketing pieces and this and that and do your lecture and fill up the course by yourself. Get a business partner, somebody who knows that side of it that you can truly partner with share some of those funds with them and let them go to work. And your job becomes, I am the educator, right? Oh my God. How many of those doctors do we know right now? Everybody listening right now can think of five doctors that are that way, right? They're like, Oh, I, I, I do this. I've got this company that we do this and we can do this and I can do this. And like, wait, wait, what? So you practice that you, you claim to have a 1.5, two and a half million dollar practice a year. And you also do all your own emails yourself. You do all your social media posts. You take all your photos. You're your own videographer. You write all your own lectures and you speak 10 times a year and you're, you know, KOL for this brand, and this brand. And it's like, dude, there's no way. There's no way. So why, why? And they look overextended and exhausted and they, they, they're always hand to mouth. Like they just never really crush it. You know what I mean? They, they look like they're always got their hand out with the companies or the reps and do me a favor and this or that, and, or, or always selling themselves. And nobody likes that. Y'all doctors don't like it when we do that, right? Bye, 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 bye. We don't, that's, that's not a good methodology. Be the educator and let somebody go out there on your behalf and do that for you. Oh my God. Right? You go and call a company and say, I am the greatest KOL. I'm this influential. I have all these following. I have a big this, that, and the other. Uh-huh. And you go and call these companies, you understand like the, the, the banter after that phone call, it's not, it's not what you think it is. They're not going, Oh, thank God they called us. Oh, it's, it's, it's like, Oh geez, it's another one of them. And you get almost on this like blacklist of like, Oh, it's going to be one of the needy KOLs. She's going to say, well, I'm a 50 or a hundred thousand dollar year customer, but I'm worth millions. So, you know, I'm not going to pay my bill. Uh, You're going to give me all free product. And then you're going to pay to support all my courses at $10,000 a hit. And then you're going to do this. And then you're going to do that. It's like, okay, wait, we're paying you $400,000 a year to be a a $100,000 customer, which again, that's not, we're we're giving that away in free product now. Do you really think that you influence so much for our company that we're going to make millions off you? Because that's what we'd have to make, right? And and I don't think that they understand. And and I think that's more of the old guard than the new guard. But even with social media now, that's happening. You know, there are people going, I got X amount of followers. You should just sponsor me. And they have no idea on marketing or content strategy or an ROI and how to really successfully do a campaign for a brand. No, not at all. And so I, I think the best educators, I love what PayRay is doing. And frankly, 
because he did the social media aspect first and sold his course out with like in a couple of minutes, he earned that on the front end and didn't do it at the same time, right? Where you're selling and creating a course that worked out really well for him. Um, whether that was planned or, or just the way it happened, that's great. Cause he didn't have to market his course because he'd already market. He made himself who he was. He was just sharing what he had and that worked in his favor. But if you're like, and, and you know what? And he's branded himself. You know, I watched this guy go from 200 followers when we were, were having lunch in Nashville because we met through Instagram. He's got 200 followers. And this guy is so humble. He's an associate at Affordable and he buys my lunch just because I came to eat lunch with him, you know, in Nashville. And now he's, you know, grown his account and his brand and his, he's really done a good job branding himself. But, you know, he's doing two courses. Uh, he's doing, he just did one with the the enemy for you guys, I guess, Neodent, right? And then, and it went great. And he's doing one now with BioHorizons. He's saying, I do all next and I actually use both systems. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, can you believe it? And he didn't do it because, you know, the companies go, hey, we need a course. Here's some money. No, he said, I'm doing a course. These are the implants I use. Guys, would you like to get behind me and support my course? It was content first, company second. And, and I think that's really cool. No, I think that's a great way to do it. Um, but, he, but, he used, but again, back to the whole thing of leveraging the reps. Daniel from Neonet and you from BioHorizons work for him. You go to work and try to help him and give him as many resources for his course to be successful because he has a good relationship with you. And why? Because he's our boy. That's it. Right. It's not that it, it never, never come down to a profitability issue or anything like that. It's, it's, it's a purely of, I believe in you and you're going places and I want to be a part of that. And that's what's really the, the relationships he's built. A hundred percent. I don't make a dime off pay rate. Uh, he's not my area and I don't want to. Why do I do it? Because I actually care about pay rate. Um, I respect the time and effort to become what he has become. I was talking to a specialist about this the other day because I referred a different specialist to Perry's course who's going. And he's old school, but he's incredible at Fuller. He goes, are you sure this is the right course with the GP teaching? I go, he's not a GP. He's an implantologist. He's not any of that either. He's Pay Ray. And I go, he put in more time and effort into the CE portion and actually being in those cases, learning about all the complications in, in a matter of two to three years than most do in their entire lifetime. And that's no joke. And because he, this is what he lives and breathes. So I had zero hesitation referring a specialist to that course because I know what he is and who he is, right? So he's earned that for sure. He knows it from A to Z. And that's the big thing with Pedro is that like he, he's done every bit of it and he's done it pretty well. I mean, the kid's got a startup practice and he started, he was affordable trained, right? So he went from a very high volume floor practice into his own practice. So, and he's, he's worked with Joe Marinfar. He's, he's, you know, taken the Coise course. He's done a lot. He's taken so many hours of Pico's courses and, and stuff like that. So, you know, he, he really is educated and for as young as he is quite talented. And I think yeah, really try well to, in, this space. In, in my pursuit of knowledge. Right. And, and I, I will never hit that because I've got family and, and things like that and kids and they, you know, I got, they're the most important thing, but now I go to as much as I can and learn as much as I can. I would recommend that to every single rep out there. Don't be the rep in the, who's not in the room or, or texting in your phone or doing whatever. Be the rep that's in there with a pen and paper writing and learning with these docs, because that's how you're going to blow it out and become more than a representative or a sales rep. You will become, you know, that guy right that everybody knows and needs yeah absolutely i mean i'll give you you know right now i'll give you five accounts that you follow right now for for full arts i mean that's easy you're gonna go follow uh curry you know go andrew curry dmd i think is his instagram handle right that's a yep. great one uh you're gonna follow uh, dr knife sonata i think it's his instagram is dr sonata dr sonata follow Implant Viking, because the animal is an animal. I mean, you're going to follow him and his full art stuff. That's a great one to follow. Hunter Dawson, I think he's just now starting to post some content on that kind of stuff. Uh, so he's a really good account that I think it's going to blossom into something much bigger. And then uh, I think this is under at Hunter Dawson. And then Stephanie Zeller, another great one, a Prost, if you want to follow Prost. And lastly, I would definitely say you got to follow nader salib which is at surgical gourmet he does a lot of of failures and recoveries and so he's doing zygomatics and and he actually is like an expert witness uh, for a lot of cases that you know in lawsuits he comes in and gives his opinion and he really 
has seen the good, bad, and otherwise. He taught the all on X goes XXX at DIA last year, and real man has seen it all for sure. I love that lecture, by the way. And I think as reps, we don't want to talk about complications ever because it sours the mindset, at least in our our process of thinking that way. But the reality is I was actually meeting with a uh, potential client today who I landed. And the reason he went with me was he's showing me a very difficult case and, and told me his plan. And I go, Doc, I hate to burst your bubble, especially when I'm trying to get your business. But if you do that, here's what's going to happen, X, Y, and Z, and it's going to fail. And he just stopped right there. He goes, I'm buying from you because you just sold yourself just by saving me from the trouble. I go, that's what would have happened, Doc. Uh, and the reason I know is because I've seen enough out there and I've learned enough to be able to tell you that with confidence that here's a better angle or better way to go. Now, that was real value for him. And it probably saved him thousands of dollars in, in chair time, right? And got me a new customer just by learning from guys like Salib. Yeah, no, I think there, I think that's what's the beauty of Instagram now. The thing I don't like about the Facebook groups is they're kind of clicky and there's like be a small pot of people that really get along. And then everybody's really intimidated to post anything because man, they get out of control. They, they'll get like really keyboard warriors going crazy on that. And and it's just like, man, I was just looking for feedback. Don't, don't assassinate me as a clinician here. Oh, <laughs> uh, they, they really do. And it's, uh, or they'll just hate on something just cause it's not one of the guys in their click or that's just weird to me. I, I don't get all that. I don't get the you're with me or against me mentality. It's never made sense to me. No, I, I, I think it's it's less combative around on Instagram because of the the people are there's more of a community built around it. I've been trying to tell that to all the companies. Like all these companies have, you know, we we're talking about me lecturing for all of them. Every other all, all the major major companies have contacted me for some reason about coming to talk to them about social media and stuff and I'm not saying that they call me in because I'm doing it well. I think that because I have a lot of followers, that helps. But because of DIA and Implant Compare and, and all the different things, is I've been I've become the business voice to this influencer dentistry kind of stuff. And so anyways, they brought me in to kind of explain it to them, kind of be the liaison between the, the clinicians and, and the brands. And I tell them all the same thing, man. You got to make your brand human and you got to get out there and share some good information. But more importantly, showcase these awesome accounts. There's some great content out there, man. Instagram is killing it right now for dentistry because there's some awesome content. Matthew Fine and uh, Israel Putterman. You know, uh, there's just some incredible content for education out there and it's free. And these brands are being mentioned left and right, but they have no idea how to be, I guess, cool. It's kind of like your dad. You know, they used to that, that meme of Steve Buscemi in like young kids' clothes at a high school. <laughs> Yeah. Like, what's up, bros? You know, or <laughs> you know, it, it, it's exactly kind of like the brands right now. They're trying to like dress up, you know, these sixty-year-old guys dressing up to in, in in skinny jeans to come hang out at DIA. And it's like, man, don't try to be something you're not, but just embrace the culture and evangelize the people. I think it's smart for them to bring you in. I mean, listen, I'm out there lecturing on social media marketing. I wasn't even on Instagram until about a year ago because of you. So it's worked for me. I'm now teaching other people about it, and I got that from you. So I think it's a good first step for them to bring in you, who who's kind of figured out a lot of that connection points between the industry and the younger docs and the older docs and just everybody in general and bringing in. It's a good step for them. Now, let's see if they do anything with it, though. Right. Yeah, it's just the biggest word. I, 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 the one, if I give one word on all of this, it's community. Dentistry loves community. That's why we and have a million conferences. You know, you have. This group, AAID, ICOI, it's super clicky. Dentistry's super clicky. We're all about our little pods, you know, and implant compare. We've got our own like, you know, fan club, right? It, it's that's what I play into when I build things. Look at DIA. You know, we've got they're like junkies, man. We're, we're <laughs> we've created a drug for dentistry. And I love that. And that's what I try to tell every single brand is make your brand a drug. Make people proud to be affiliated with it. Make them proud to share it and just make them feel good for acknowledging your brand and using your brand. It's really simple. It's not crazy. Is that what you guys did at DIA? Would you give everybody a little bit of crack and how to come back? Hey, man. Crack keeps them coming back. That's the deal, baby. No, I, mean, I, this year, I didn't. We didn't give them crack, guys. No, we, we, uh, we're this year we're going to give them fanny packs, uh, some Advil and water. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you serious? I haven't had a fanny pack. Do we, are we going to wear hyper-colored T-shirts next? Is that what's up, too? I mean, if you can look like you fall off the set of uh, Saved by the Bell, then you're doing well with us, man. I think we're all... Uh, yeah. I know funny post we're going to do for this episode. Then. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know, we we did. We got fanny packs. Uh, Gil from Frontier Dental, he was like, absolutely. Their 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 company is a part of Evident, which I'm learning a lot about. I, their CEO Paulo is freaking awesome, dude. This guy is a CEO. He just subtly name dropped the other day on a conference call that he was at Burning Man having a conversation with the ex CEO of Google about you know number of phone market share with uh, cell phones. And I'm like, oh yeah, no no big deal. Just at Burning Man with the you know ex Google CEO, but the guy is just. But he's just fucking hilarious, man. He just likes to party and have fun and bring joy and in, into in, in the people he works with and his company and everything. Like everybody just happy to work with him and happy to work for him. So he's got this platform that they do kind of like uh I guess it's well, it's digital planning as a service, but they take your scans and it lives in an open source platform. So when you do your scan, you do it in their software that it saves in your cloud. So that way you can export it or do with it what you want versus staying in a closed system. So I thought it was pretty cool, but they do a lot of other things too. And I'm still learning all about it. That's the future of the lab side anyways, is in my opinion, I've told you this before is I think it's the digital planning aspect. Everybody's going to have mills. Everybody's going to have printers. A lot of people already do. And you're going to have a, a, a highly trained assistant or a lab, a lower lab trained person, right? Who's going to finish everything out, but it's really the the planning of that portion. So they're ahead of the game. I actually started researching more when you told me about it. And I'm like, son of a gun. I thought I was really smart and ahead of the game. And I was way behind. They're already killing it with this stuff. It's pretty cool, man. They've had like a one, like, a, like I think over a billion parts ordered through their system and stuff. Like they're, they're pretty massive in, in Europe and, and in Canada. They've got labs all over the place. Something like 200 employees are lab planners. Uh, but they'll do plan your surgical guide, you know, plan your lab work, all that. But I think that is where the model is going because if I can bring in the mill and bring in the, the 3D printer and I can get the cases well and I can afford just getting this capital equipment as a write-off, then I can really lean up my model that way by just using the service side or like what Peter Bolden's doing, right? He's got like a residency program going through his practice that he's able to bring in ambitious younger people who are more technically savvy and trained on a lot of this to, to help them do that. And I think that's genius. That's the only way it's profitable. No, absolutely. Well, I know you've got to go in a little bit. You've got some big, important call, but. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, my call with Strom and just my friends. Who, never heard of him. I don't know who that is. So I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> kind of a big deal, right? So, but we always like to end these episodes with some tip for sales or whatever. But um, I told you the other day that uh, there's somebody named Maya. She was, the daughter of uh, the head of assistant uh, for Paul Anderson, an oral surgeon uh, here locally. And she was coming to me, consulting with me, wanting to get into sales and had an interview with, I won't name the company though, um, and had me review her contracts and, and give her advice and all that stuff. And she was so all over it. And she sent me this email with questions about her fears and questions she has. Now, she's just started with this company, and I thought it'd be kind of interesting if you and I, since we have pretty good experience in this field, kind of ran through these real quick. You cool with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I wish I had this when I was coming up, man. It's, it was hard. I <laughs> wish I had a resource like that, too. That would have been freaking nice, actually. You know, Skip- it's funny. I, I don't know if you got told this a lot, but I mean, I, I was pretty terrible at sales in the beginning, and I kept hearing one thing. Oh, you're green. Oh, you're green. What the F does freaking, what, what, what does it mean? I'm green. I was getting so annoyed with that until I finally realized what it meant and that, you know, it's just kind of getting your reps and getting through the uh, awkwardness. Oh, hundred percent. Nobody starts out being good at anything, by the way. Right. So it's always, a, but you can skip ahead and go, since we've been through the trials and tribulations, we can ter- tell you paths not to take and paths to take to success, right? Or what at least has worked for us. So let's start out with the first one. We'll kind of blast through these quotas, quotas, quotas. The thing that you are afraid of is going to be hanging over your head always and at the back of your mind. Blake, what do you think about quotas? Quotas still drive me every day. I have a quota <laughs> from being with Implant Compare and what it takes to keep it afloat. And you know, we have quotas for how many tickets we sell with DIA. I think whether you're in sales or no matter at what aspect of the business you're in, you're always going to deal with quotas. So you've got to find a symbiotic relationship with it. One thing that it can do is make you very manic and bipolar. So on the first of the month, once your quota is behind you and you start a new month fresh, you know, you start off good and you're like, oh, I'm great. And you're invigorated. Then in the month comes that last week and you're like, oh my God, I got this looming goal, you know. Let it drive you. Let it be a good thing. Find a, a symbiotic relationship with it and, and don't be afraid of it. Let it 
just be just like you when you look yourself in the mirror and how you want to look. Uh, it's exactly the same thing with the quota. What kind of rep do you want to be? Let this be your look. Yeah. And I think when you're starting out, the pressure is going to be there because especially with a company that maybe not as big and hasn't invested as much money in you, the, the flipping of reps is probably going to happen more at a small company just because they don't have the funds to, to, hot, to invest in people who have a longer amount of experience. So they're going to be more patient there. Uh, so when, when you got a smaller company, they probably may not be as patient. So what does that mean? Hit your numbers. If you look at your quota as that's what an average person's going to do and not as the finish line, not like, oh, I hit the quota so I can cut it off. Now, if you look at that quota for the month as, yeah, that's what everybody else is going to do, but that's like the 80% mark for me. Like, I think that's a better way to look at it. It's not the finish line for the month. It is blast through it, right? But you need some sort of benchmark as does the company because that's the only way they know how to measure your success, right? So Absolutely. They'll always be there and and and... and even good coaches lose some games sometimes. So understand that maybe you just don't hit it sometimes. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. You're not losing your job the next day. But, you know, look, if you go out like uh, Harbaugh and take Michigan, uh, you know, to a, a no no championship, then, you know, you may be looking for a new job. Just make sure yeah. that you find the relationship with that and try to, like you said, crush it. Yeah, in, our, in outside sales, man, you get a lot of freedom. You have the ability to make a significant amount of money. And the price you pay is... About last month was great, but what can you do for me now? That's just the game. And know that's what you're getting into. And by the way, that's like owning your own business too. So it's the same thing to me. Uh, it's, it's just because I did well last month. I got to keep it going. I got to keep grinding. So, well, let's keep pushing through these. Uh, starting meaningful relationships. Although I like talking and getting to know people, getting your foot in the door can be an awkward thing sometimes, especially if you're new to this and don't know everything. Plus, dentists have years of education on me. How do you feel about that, Blake? That's your turn. You take this one. All right. I'll take this one. So starting meaningful relationships, I think dentists uh, and surgeons by nature are educators. One of the things I did was go into really highly trained surgeons and, and basically say, I just want to watch you. I just want to learn. And and that does a couple of things, right? It strokes their ego, right? It gives me the opportunity to learn from somebody who's really good. And, my, and it wasn't even one of like a bio customer at the time. I... I it was, uh, I won't even say the name of the company, but I just said, Hey, I won't try to sell you ever. I promise you. And I held by that. And what ended up happening by the third, fourth, fifth surgery, Hey, why don't you tell me about your product? And it was not me ever selling. It was them asking me questions and, and wanting, be, just because I was there and putting the effort in to learn, right? Everybody likes to show out. Everybody likes to teach and help people along the way, just like we're doing with you right now, Maya, just like that. So I think if you go in really humble, uh, even though you do already have experience, she's a medical assistant uh, in oral surgery and has seen tons of implants and, and grafting procedures. She's way ahead of the game more so than she realizes. I think uh, if you go in as a student there, that's the way to do it. Not as a salesperson, as a student wanting to just soak up as much as you can. I think that's the way I would recommend doing it. I agree. I think, I think they do like to teach. Uh, I mean, everybody in dentistry likes to teach, I think. Uh, so go in there with that create some relationships and just don't go in there with your catalog and, and with, and try to sell until you understand their problems and understand the value you can bring to them. You know, mm -hmm. be ready, start, start with the relationships first, because the most important thing in medical sales is the relationship. No matter what company you go to, you're always going to have your customer list. And so if you start forming this, you know, very intimate bond with your clients now, it'll last you, it'll keep you lasting for a long time in this industry, but also to, you don't want a client who's going to jump from implant company to implant company or from uh, vendor to vendor. You know, you want someone who's loyal. You want someone who goes, well, I actually have a really great relationship and play golf and my next door neighbor is this, the rep from, you know, Shine or Benco or whatever. So make sure that you start establishing those relationships and, and find those people that are that loyal and it will be a lot easier for you because then you have a really strong base network that'll support you throughout the years. And then outside of that, you just start adding little small clients here and there. No, that's a really good point. All right. So not making the sale rejection can be tough and might make you start second guess yourself. What do you, you start this one off like ABC always be closing. Um, you know, it's, it's the best way to put this. It's always going to suck. It's always going to hurt. You're always going to feel those lows. Don't take it personally. Understand that there was a sale made in that transaction. 
Either you sold them on the product or they sold you on a reason why not. So sales made in every interaction and I didn't come up with that. That was taken straight from Boiler Room. But you need to make sure that they at least convince you on why they're not buying the product. Don't go in there and dance around and, and let what you think are sales being, you know, deals being closed down in your face and, are, you know, doors being closed in your face. That's not it at all. You got to make sure that at least they gave you a solid reason why they couldn't be a customer. And 99 times out of 100, they probably didn't. You were the one that convinced yourself that they weren't going to buy. So I would just see it as an opportunity and reevaluate it. And if that was a situation, they did give you a good reason why they didn't buy it, then okay, move on to the next one or just keep them slowly idled and for the right time to strike again, you know, strike again. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think rejection can tell you at least one positive thing. That means you asked for the sale. And that's a very hard thing to do, especially at the beginning. And what's happened to me in my career, and it took me a long time to get certain customers was because I got caught in the friend zone. My relationship was, became too good without ever asking them to buy anything. It's not a good thing to do. Now, the good thing in my life taught me was I was rejected by women so many times. I just kept asking and that's otherwise I wouldn't be married. Right. So uh, no, now doesn't mean no forever. And so don't take it personal. And by the way, when they say no, what do I say to them? I go, no, I understand you. You're not going to do it now. Right. I make, and I smile and I say, that's okay. When, when you get a little smarter, you'll come back and I make a joke out of it or say something smart ass like that. But it's don't take it personally. Unless it is personal, right? Like, and figure out what you did wrong. But overall, just some people just are not going to buy right away. That's okay. You may not buy the first car you see on the lot. You may not buy this or that. Sometimes people need to process this, especially in implants. It's like, if I come knocking on your door and say, spend 30 grand on me off the bat, you'd roll your eyes and be like, get out of my office, Brent. Right? So establish a relationship, but always bring value. Always attempt to sell them something um, or further that, that, uh, that journey to try to close them on something and just don't be upset about it. Right. Rejection sure. means you ask for the sale. Sure. That's a good. So uh, what are some of the pitfalls uh, some reps fall into early in their careers that are avoidable? And I'll start this one off. Uh, I think everybody tries to sell everything to them all at once. Right. So uh, she has an implant system and sinus of kids and all these other instruments and stuff here buy my implants. I wouldn't start there. If I was her and I told her this the other day, I go, they have this really cool like bone collector kind of niche product that's a couple hundred bucks. Uh, go around and be, a, be an expert on that product and, and start there. Because if you read, uh, what's that book by uh, Cialdini where it's like the, uh, the Psychology of Persuasion, I believe, or Psychology of Influence, one of the, I forget the name of the title, but it'll tell you if somebody buys something smaller from you, they're more likely to buy something larger from you, right? So start with something like that, that solves a problem. That's cool niche product and a couple hundred bucks. You're going to get a lot of yeses and it gets you in the mode of selling and it starts that snowball down the hill and builds you up and your confidence gets bigger. And that's when you come back for the bigger products, right? That would be my advice there that, that reps try to do the big stuff first, throw it all at them. And then that rejection we're talking about is just overwhelming because they've set themselves up to be rejected at a high level. Whereas if you come in smaller at the beginning and, and add value and, and a cool thing that's not that expensive, it gets your foot in the door, right? That would be my answer to that question. Yeah, I, I think that I think also organization, man, reps are very unorganized. And a lot of these clinicians are depending on you to help them and keep them organized often. So making sure that you're very organized is key. But I would say one of the toughest hurdles in dentistry or medical cells in general is getting past the front desk. It's the hardest thing to do. It is especially I think and to be honest with you, I think it's more difficult for women than it is men. And I'll say why because traditionally i've noticed most of the uh, front desk tend to be female i would say like 85 to 90 percent of the offices that i encountered the front desk was female and that can go either way as a female i watched with some reps that i trained that were that were women they were not perceived well at all they were pretty and the front desk just didn't like them saw them as the valley girl that they didn't like or whatever in high school and and so i i firsthand watch that be a real major struggle thinking it would actually have been the other way around. So, but then you see reps like Cammy, we know from the, uh, she's in the medical side now, but from the dental side, she's very great with the front desk and there she's friends with everybody. They connect on social media. You know, she's really good about that. So once you find your groove on that, I think you'll get the job will get easier, but I, I will say the hardest thing for me was getting past that front desk. 
so challenging. Even as adorable as you are? I used to wear a bow tie just to get it behind the door because they would, I mean, I look like every other rep coming by in a suit and tie. So I wear a bow tie and they thought I was so cute and innocent. They just couldn't say no to me. (laughs) (laughs) True fact. And anybody that knows me that's listening to this from the old trade show days, that was my niche in the dental and the trade show world was I would rock the bow tie because then people would remember me. I was the rep rocking the bow tie. And that's how I kind of made my impression, my lasting impression. Good, bad, or indifferent. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm about to start in an area where my my company's second sales rep and without much of a foothold. What strategies would you recommend to get started? And I don't know if that means that somebody just got let go and she's taken over or, or they only have two people in Georgia or something like that. But either way, I'd say, you know, Blake's talking about getting in with a front desk. I would say go to as many meetings and social events, uh, study clubs. Even if you're not a sponsor, go to the doctors running them so you can be in there. I hate cold calling now. I absolutely just hate it. Um, it's uncomfortable even at as many times I've done it in my life. Uh, I prefer to go into an education setting or at the bar with somebody and just build a relationship. So you're doing a couple of things there. By building and establishing relationships with people in the industry, you're proving that you're not going to be flipped quickly like the person was before you. Uh, Ask the people in the area why they did or did not like working with that person. If they like them, then amplify the things they did right. If they didn't like them, don't do the things they didn't like. It's pretty easy. Right. Yeah. Be, be willing to just apologize for things that you didn't even do. That'll happen. And just show that, Hey, I'm the new face and I'm here. That's why we have a new face. We're trying to change that, fix it. So just to, you know, reiterate how you're trying to rectify the situation and start building some strong partnerships with other reps and companies. Like if you're in Atlanta, I would contact Tara and Liz from, uh, they do a ton of education. They're in the community. They're really good about staying involved in the dental community. You you work out with them, I'm pretty sure that you can get in, into some really great courses, programs, and in front of some really great doctors because they really do a great job here in Georgia. Yep. All right. Last question. I know you got to go. Uh, what should I be focusing on and working on myself to make sure I can be as successful as possible? Blake, I'll let you answer first. Brand yourself. The biggest threat the reps can make right now to other reps is branding themselves on social media, on podcasts, on any media outlet. If you want to write blog articles, put out good information, be out there, make yourself an influencer, and you're going to see the dynamic of your rep clinician relationship drastically change because now you can help them with marketing. You can help them with speaking gigs. You can help them in any other way, and you're seen as a knowledgeable source of value, and you're not just somebody knocking on the door trying to take them to lunch to sell them something else again. That was a actually a really good answer, man. Um, mine would say is what I've tried to do is treat this as as my business, right? And we hear people saying that all the time. You know, this is your book of business. No, treat it as like this is your franchise. Like I work for Biohorizons. I'm the Biohorizons franchise in this area, but it's my business. I own this area. This is me. Shane McElroy is Biohorizons here, right? And so that's what I've tried to do is treat it as my own business. Everything's my fault, right? If it's not successful in this area, I take all the blame because that's what you need to do and not blame others. It doesn't help you. And when I look at corporate, anything they can give me, assets, products, all that is just icing on the cake. And so when you start looking at it as your own business and stop looking at it as a job, it changes everything, right? It drives you harder. To your point, you're turning yourself into a brand, right? It just, you own what this is. And by owning it, you make it the way you want it to be. And I've been very fortunate at my company. They've kind of let me do that uh, my way. And so I think that's it. Treat it as if it's your startup, your business, not as I'm just a rep for a company because you're not, unless you say you are. There are spine orthopedic reps out there making three hundred to five hundred thousand dollars a year. They work for the surgeons, and then brands have to work with them if they want to work with that surgeon. So, if you make yourself a valuable asset in the medical field, rep, clinician, whatever it may be, then you're a force to be reckoned with. You're not going to go anywhere. Build some strong relationships. Build up your network and team. Bring value to them. Brand yourself own your art and you'll crush it. And then if, if you don't have any success at this company, you call Shane and I, we'll make sure you have another gig. Yeah. If you're that kick-ass, we got you. But I think that's a great way to close out this episode, everybody. So we appreciate your time. Always thank you for listening. Uh, if you got any good ideas for episodes or want to reach out to us, hit us up on Instagram at all in podcast. Blake, you got anything to say? No, uh, looking forward to, you know, we're going to redo this interview we just did with, uh, 
Stephen London. It was amazing. We had some audio issues, which is just part of the game. So we're going to redo it. But man, I'm really excited for them to hear this episode because he was one incredible guy and truly humble, but also just likable and fun, you know, and just really a likable guy. So I really thought that was some good content. Excited to re-record that. Probably the most interesting man in the dental industry, I'll be honest with you. So I'm looking forward to it too. And we'll talk about how I screwed up the audio on that episode too. So we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the All In Podcast. See you next time.